And while they're leaving, may you please, if you're able and willing, stand as we read Jonah, our passage for this morning, which is on page 774 of your pew Bibles. I think if you have a journal Bible, I think it's just page one. It's pretty close. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish for the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so hard that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled their cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where did you come from? What is your country, and what are your people? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us the innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. How often do we search for happiness out there? Whoever out there might be? How often do we search for success? So much so that we forget the success that we've already achieved. How often do we focus on what we don't have and completely forget about everything that we already have? Students, how often do we look at what our friends have and wish, if I had that one thing, I might be happy? Or we might even look to the future, to that next movie or next birthday, to the next video game, to that next date, 
to the next sleepover. Or for us adults, that next job, that next paycheck, that next thing that promises us, us happiness in the future. We've been going through the book of Jonah, and we've been introduced to this prophet of God, and we've found out very quickly he's not a very good prophet at all. He has been commissioned to go to Nineveh to proclaim the word that the Lord has given him, that their sin has come before him, that their evil has been seen by him. And from that point of the story, from the first two verses, it's almost as if all we're waiting for is for the great fish to come or for Jonah to finally get to Nineveh. We constantly are looking forward rather than seeing where God actually puts Jonah next. Because we can think of the great fish, but the great fish doesn't come until the end of this chapter, and it's the scene of chapter 2. And we can anticipate what Jonah will do because we all know the story. He will get to Nineveh, but that's not until chapter 3. And my question for you this morning, if I had asked you about these sailors would you have even remembered that they were part of the story? We often overlook these sailors. But what I don't want us to miss is that this, in this incredible narrative, God truly reveals the inclusivity of his mission. That as easy it is for us to look at what Jonah is going to do next, we might actually miss what Jonah was doing in chapter 1. And this is what's hard. is Jonah was fleeing. He was running from the command of God. He was in his sin. But what's incredible about this passage is even in that sin, God is able to bring beauty and God is able to bring redemption. Because our God is the God that created the earth and the sea. He is the God of heaven. God is so omnipotent, so powerful. He is so gracious that he can turn anything that our sin actually destroys and recreate it. Because that's what his grace does. It takes that what sin has destroyed and marred. And he lavishly pours his grace upon it and makes it new. And this is what he does with these sailors. And there's two things I want us to see this morning. I want us to first, and for the large part, I want us to look at the ironies of Jonah chapter 1. I want us to look at the ironies of the characters. And second, I want us to look at the inclusivity. The inclusivity of God's redemption of his world. The ironies. Much to Jonah's dismay, he wants to flee from God's commission. And we are immediately met with this narrator, this author of this book, who loves to draw out ironies. And if you are wanting to know what an irony is, I, I hope you know, but some of you might not know. 
we can most fully see a picture of irony in a, in a story such as The Wizard of Oz, right? We're whisked away into this fairy tale story of Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Lion. And they are searching for something. The Scarecrow is searching for a brain. The Tin Man is searching for a heart. The Lion is searching for courage. And we find with Dorothy, she's actually looking for something to make her happy. But the irony of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is that throughout the story, all four of them show that they already have what they're looking for. The Scarecrow shows wisdom. The Tin Men shows kindness. The Lion shows great courage. And when Dorothy finally returns to her home, she realizes she already has the happiness that she was searching for. Yet the author of Jonah has given us this ironic distinction. He's playing these characters, these sailors and Jonah at odds with one another. Because here's the irony of the story. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, which is to the east. and goes, You get there by land. So he goes west by sea. But where does Jonah find himself? In the exact place where God is sending him. To people who don't know him. To people who don't have the covenants, who have no knowledge of who God is. And God puts Jonah in their midst. They're going to Tarshish. Basically the other side of the world. Jonah going and buying a ticket to Tarshish is like us going and buying a ticket and saying, I want to go to the moon. He's doing everything he can to rebel. And yet God places him, even in his sin, exactly where he means to put him. On this ship with these pagans. And this author is drawing a stark contrast that everything that Jonah does, we should read this passage and say, we should not do that. But what we might miss is that what this author is trying to show us is that everything that the sailors do is actually what God's people should do. Let me show this. When the sea was raging, the captain, in verse 6, goes down and says, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Now, this is hard in the ESV. The NIV translates it as Rise, get up and call. And this should remind us of how this passage started. When, G- when God said to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Isn't it ironic? Jonah is fleeing the presence of the Lord. And here we have a pagan captain who is saying the exact words that God is saying. The author is inverting What we might expect. Jonah, the prophet of God, is supposed to go and say the words of the Lord. But we have this pagan captain speaking the word of the Lord to Jonah. And then we have these pagans. 
who find themselves in this bad storm. And so what do they do? They begin to pray. They begin to pray to their gods that if their God might answer them and calm the seas, they might be saved. But where do we find Jonah? He's down in the belly of the ship, asleep, completely unaware to what's going on to him and the crew of this ship. He's completely unaware of what God is doing in this scene. But yet, it's these pagans who are praying. It's these pagans that are calling out that God might cease to do what he's doing. And so they go and get Jonah, and they ask him, well, well, well what? You're, you're asleep? Wake up and call out to your God that he might stop this situation. And here's what's ironic. Even then, Jonah doesn't pray. He leaves it to this, these polytheists. He leaves it to these seamen who believe in theodicy, that God is vindictive, that God must be punishing some sin, and so we must try to appease that sin. They have no knowledge of this God of the heaven, the God that created the earth and the sea. They have no knowledge of this God who Jonah knows, this covenant, compassionate, loving God. And yet, what do they do? Jonah tells them. Jonah tells them who he is. And so they cast lots. They find it's him. They ask the questions. He tells them. And what do they do? They are exceedingly afraid. Because here's the irony. Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew who fears Yahweh. He used the covenant name of God. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. But in this narrative, we see no fear from Jonah. We continually see his sin. But yet, it's these sailors who fear the Lord. Because Jonah told them about him. We see this at the end of verse 10. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he had told them. This prophet who's running from God, doing everything he possibly can to run from the face of Yahweh uses the sin of this prophet to reveal himself to these pagan men. And here's what's even more incredible. They find this out. They're incredibly afraid. And I'll, I'll just take this personal uh, uh, analogy. If I'm on this ship and Jonah says, I'm the problem, my first response is, see you later, man. But what do these sailors do? 
they try even harder. They try even harder to preserve life. The irony is, is that they did what Jonah should have done. They cared so much about each other and so much about Jonah that they were willing to go down together to preserve life. And what is Jonah's response? Oh, just throw me over. And that might seem heroic, but it's not. For what is Jonah ultimately doing? He's saying, I would rather die than repent of my sin. I would rather die than do what God has commissioned me to do. I would rather die than fear the Lord. And I hope that doesn't describe our lives. I hope that this doesn't describe our hearts as God's people who know the compassion and the love of this God, who know his power and his grace. And yet we find ourselves looking at what God is calling us to do and we are saying, I won't go that far because I love my sin too much. But what do these pagans do? They do everything they can to please the Lord. They fear him. And ultimately, they hurled Jonah into the sea. Because the sailors knew that they had to throw Jonah in so they might live. The sailors realized that they had everything right in front of them that offered them life. And so they cast Jonah into the sea. And look at the response. Because what happens as soon as Jonah is thrown into the sea? The sea, the sea ceased, verse 15. The sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They saw. After they acted, after they already feared the Lord, then they see what the Lord does and they respond. Brothers and sisters, this is the proper response to Yahweh. This is the proper response to the God that made the heavens, that made the earth, and made the sea. And this is what Jesus says later in Matthew 12 and Luke 11. That just as those sailors needed to throw Jonah into the sea so they might live, he was a better Jonah that his people might live. Jonah was a sign. The sailors were redeemed because of the life of another. 
And he went into the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. And Jesus says, a greater sign than Jonah is here. Someone had to be cast down so that we might have life. And his name was Jesus. But Jesus isn't like this bad prophet who's running from the will of God. Jesus came, was hurled down from heaven so that he might actually fulfill the commission of God. He is the greater prophet. And we no longer have to do what these sailors did. We must respond, but we no longer have to offer a sacrifice because if we know Jesus, we know that he has made a sacrifice once and for all, for all of our sins. And we come to this table renewing these covenant vows that we've taken with him as a response of seeing the great and mighty power of God in Jesus. Jonah would be offensive to any Israelite. I hope it's not offensive to us. I hope that we see from this response of these hardened pagan sailors that God's grace really is sufficient, that he really has given us everything that we need to turn his rage against our sin away from us. And he offers that to us in Jesus, the greater Jonah. When we come to this table, we're all admitting that we don't pray like we should. A lot like these Sailors prayed, even though they prayed to the wrong God. When we come to this table, we are admitting we don't have enough. We can't row hard enough. This life is too hard. Our sin is too great. We flee from the presence of the Lord that much. We need somebody to stand in our place, and his name is Jesus. This passage also shows us the inclusivity of this mission, and I've referenced it already. But when we read the story of Jonah, it should open our eyes. I prayed for our missionaries, Jeff and Katie Saunders, this morning. I love Jeff and Katie. I went to seminary with Jeff. They have two beautiful children. What they're doing is really incredible starting a college youth ministry or a college ministry that the people of Japan might come to know the name of Yahweh. But here's what happens to me is that I get so caught up in praying for them, I forget that there are people here in Fayette County that need to know the name of Yahweh. 
I get so concerned about what God's doing out there that I completely miss what he's doing right next to me. Brothers and sisters, real change doesn't happen when we give these people a list of do's and don'ts. Real change happens when they go and face God himself and they experience his mercy and his grace. That's the only thing that can change us. That's the only thing that could have changed these sailors is the mercy and grace and compassion of God. They were confronted with Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, the God that ruled over all other gods, and they experienced immeasurable grace. And if you do not know this God, you cannot tell people to go face this God. If you do not know this God, you do not have enough grace to follow after this God. That God was so omnipotent, so powerful, that he stopped the raging of the seas. And this is exactly what Jesus came and did. He did not pray to his God. He was God. And when his disciples were in distress, he calmed the seas by the word of his power. If you do not know this Jesus, if you do not know this powerful and gracious and loving Jesus, you will never be able to do what you were created to do. And you will remain in your sin. And you will always search for happiness or success or hope or the next best thing. But Jesus is offered to us to come by faith. And even as God used the sin of Jonah, someone fleeing from the Lord, God used the actions of lawless men to bring about our own redemption. For it was lawless men who hung Jesus on the cross. But it was according to the definite plan and knowledge of God that through that he might bring redemption and restoration out of disobedience and bring life out of death. He provided the sailors with Jonah. And he provided us with something even greater. And may we do what the psalmist did. May we extol him as a congregation. May we give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed say so, whom he has redeemed from their trouble. We have found our God in Jesus It is in Jesus we see the love that God has for his people. It is in Jesus 
that God sent him to fulfill his mission, not running from it, but fulfilling it and revealing the love of God the Father and taking our sins away from us. This is the story of Jonah and the sailors. Thank God we have a better Jonah. Let's pray.